Eric Bucheri is creating new pathways for players that are seeking professional opportunities in American soccer. He himself has navigated our broken system as a college player at UC Santa Cruz and later on as a coach at Menlo College, Burlingame Dragons, and eventually as an assistant coach with USL's Reno 1868 FC. And Eric's journey has provided him with plenty of experience and knowledge that he is now sharing with players that are starting their own journeys. His company, Path to Pro, provides opportunities for players that have been flying under the radar and puts them right in front of coaches and scouts that otherwise wouldn't even know they existed. And during this conversation, Eric really opened up about what it's like to go through the day-to-day grind as a professional coach in the lower divisions of American soccer. And he shed some light on lower division player contracts, the absence of a lower division players union and CBA, and he shares much more information that every American soccer player, parent, coach, and fan should know about. And the funny part is, is that we didn't plan on talking about any of those topics. We actually planned to talk about session planning, but this is what we ended up with. And I feel like this is a rare opportunity to hear from someone who's been on the inside, and I couldn't be more thankful for Eric coming on the show and sharing his honest opinions. And that's why I love hosting the show, because there are no restrictions, there are no rules, there is no one that tells us what we can and can't talk about, and I absolutely love it. And we're able to keep doing this because of your support as listeners, but more specifically, your support as members of the 343 Coaching Education Program. And the membership program is actually what funds this podcast. So if you are a member in the Coaching Education Program, not only are you getting an education that transforms you into a better coach from the guys that have gone through that transformation themselves and are now considered among the top in the country, but you are also helping to sustain and develop this podcast. And if you are not a member and you are wondering what a 343 membership can offer you, it is the complete online resource that will help you reduce your trial and error time and help you get right to the work that matters. You learn the cutting edge training techniques that have been proven to develop better and smarter players, better and smarter teams, and better and smarter coaches. The 343 Coaching Education Program gives you insider access to exclusive videos of training sessions, uh, full games as well, and you get additional education opportunities from ebooks, audio interviews, question and answer sessions, and online forums for networking and collaboration with other 343 Coaching members. To learn more and to explore all of the benefits of being a member of the Coaching Education Program and to help support this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 3, 4, and 3, coaching.com. All right, let's get into today's episode with Eric Bucheri. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, John? What's going on, Eric? How are you? Not, not much. Glad to hear from you. How are you? Good, man. Good. I've had a, I've already had a busy, interesting morning, so it's good. Yeah. Who did you, who did you talk with earlier? <laughs> uh, I just, uh, I just finished a conversation with Brian Dunseth. 
Nice. Awesome. And yeah, so we're we're kind of doing like a I guess you could call it like a mini series because the first conversation we had it was only like 30 minutes. He was kind of pressed for time and so I was like, "Hey, so my for my last question, I, I I'm going to ask, will you come back on the show?" And he's like, "Yeah, let's do it again tomorrow." So, that was nice. yesterday. We talked again this morning and then and then we got into the weeds on some stuff, some really good conversation and so I asked him again like, "Hey, man, do you, do you think you can come back on he's like let's schedule it for next week so we're gonna do Fantastic, round three man. love it so he um were you grilling him are you guys getting after it not necessarily grilling him i think the the cool thing about the conversation we're having is that we're both kind of just exploring topics that maybe don't get talked about very often and i say that a lot like you know people come on the show and i, and I try to get them into into areas where they're not comfortable but but Brian's really kind of opening up about some stuff that he just it's not popular to talk about so like for instance we talked about depression for uh ex-professional players and that's a, an area that you know gets completely ignored and and the comparison that I drew and I know it's it's you know it's people will probably get angry or upset about the comparison but when a professional athlete ends their career, it's a lot like when somebody in the military ends their career and yep. you kind of go from this group of like, you know, having, you know, this group of brothers around you basically, or this family that you're used to having these day-to-day -day interactions with. And then all of a sudden it's gone, like it's over and you're back to real life or you have to somehow figure out how to start a real life if you're, sure. if you've never been in that position before. And so sometimes, you know, at 30 years old, you're in a situation where all you've done for 20 years to 20 plus years is play soccer every single day as a kid and then in college and pro and whatever. And then all of a sudden your life just gets flipped upside down. And, and what Brian, one of the stories that Brian was telling me is the story about how he was notified about his last paycheck and, and how he just, it was kind of unexpected he had to adjust to it and and how he did and it's just a conversation that's not popular to have you know so that's cool man that's real stuff it is real stuff it is real stuff and and it's it's actually kind of interesting to maybe get your perspective on that because you've been on the coaching side of it and so you've maybe had to have that conversation with a player like hey man like you know we we appreciate like everything you've done for the team and, and and for for the staff and everything but you know we have to let you go and it's a very private thing you know, it's a very private conversation to have and and in, i'm sure it devastates players but nobody has uh, to my knowledge nobody talks about from a coaching standpoint like what that what that's like from a coach to have to go through that you know transfer yeah, of a player worst, or, for sure worst part of the job and i think you kind of get it it's kind of harsh to say but you do get used to it in a little bit you can kind of learn how to deal with the process a little bit and i think you get to a level where players just understand that you know this is the way the business works and it, i think the harder part letting somebody go it's like basically it's a business transaction the player starts focusing about his next move and you do it respectfully and you move on when somebody retires that's a whole different ball game because like you were saying that's your whole life what you've known since you were a little kid it's how you've defined yourself and you've gotten to a point where you're just excellent at your craft. And then all of a sudden that, that is no longer who you are. And you have to kind of start a new career as a beginner. And it's just a major life change and shift. And it's, that's a whole different thing. That's way more challenging and really, really tough. And um, I think that's something that takes years to kind of come to terms with for a player. 
and you're maybe even in a more unique situation where you've kind of worked in in like the lower divisions of American soccer where mm-hmm. I would have to imagine that you know transfers and and you know the players kind of going in and out that's more like a revolving door when oh, it comes yeah. to when it comes to like first division or major league soccer or Europe even though there's still a revolving door there but at the lower divisions I mean that doors is like constantly spinning yep yeah I think um I think the money is a major difference too it's like you know if you are getting a year or two contract in MLS or you know somewhere else in Europe the money is a lot more significant where you can balance your life you can sort of not relax but at least feel a little bit more comfortable financially in the USL I mean the contracts are laughably small sort of like like uh, sickeningly and embarrassingly small and uh that was really hard for me as a coach to look somebody in the eye and say like hey we're you know we'd like to bring you on board this is the salary and uh just try to say that with a straight face to someone who's a professional player and uh like the top of their craft and just getting paid peanuts so that was that was hard. And then, yeah, those contracts are a year, two years. It's really rare when somebody stays uh, for more than that um, in the USL. So, yeah, it was it's a difficult situation. It's not uh, ideal. You really have to love the sport. And um, because there's not a lot of warm, fuzzy feeling about uh, the family side of it, the longevity of it. It's definitely a come in, do your work, see if it's going to work out again next year and move on. That's super interesting that you mentioned, you know, one year, a lot of one year and two year contracts. I mean, that's, that's a shorter building time than like a junior college program. Like you, you have you have the players for one year, two years max, and then it's like moving on. What do, do you, I guess I'm trying to figure out the, the right question to ask here. Cause I, I yeah, no, I the, think the, you're onto something. The, uh, for me, it, it, I didn't enjoy it. And I don't know if that's the direction you were going, but there are two ways to think about it. So the season's a lot longer it's 10 months. Um, so in some ways that's like two college seasons. So you kind of get them for even a year. It's like, you've had them for 10 months. You can definitely foster a pretty important relationship and you can teach the game and, and watch them develop as a player, um, almost double the amount you could in a college season. But yeah, I mean, it, it's hard for some players who kind of were on the out, like some guys last season in Reno just knew a couple months in, they were never going to see the field. Um, and to look, at them and just sort of be like, you know, this is probably going to end after this year. They know that as well. It doesn't like foster a, a kind of a healthy environment to try to get to know each other on a good level and, and create a lasting relationship. Whereas in junior college or in a four-year college, um, you know, you're kind of committed to two years or four years. And so it's in your best interest to try to make the best of the situation where, you know, you get in the USL season, things aren't going well. You got a few months left and you're like, all right, I'm tossing to the towel, man. I'm, Ready to move on. Tell me a little bit about um, your your background. So I'm I'm still trying to learn as much as I can about you as well. And sure, and we've kind of we've kind of already hinted at like you've been a coach in the USL and and you've worked with you know professional players. But tell tell me a little bit about maybe your most recent uh, coaching jobs and and maybe sure. a little bit about how you got there. Yeah, uh, I'll start from the beginning. I I grew up in uh, the East Bay, California. I'm from the Bay Area. Played for Mustang Soccer Club back in the 90s, I guess, when it was kind of a, still a small little local soccer club. And um, from there, went on to play kind of like California, Cal North State teams and regional team. And then uh, went to college at UC Santa Cruz, which I think is where our connection starts, as Paul was my coach and, uh, and just sort of like became a lifelong mentor and friend and changed my life. Um, 
So that was a kind of a major turning point for me when I went to college and, and played for Paul and really started to think about coaching. I'd always kind of coached on the side doing camps or just been around the game as a youth um, player. Um, but uh, Paul really made me think about coaching as a career and a wonderful way to, to live a life that was impactful and could change people for the better. Um, so yeah, played there for four years and, um, went on to coach there. Paul ended up leaving and got a job at San Luis Obispo where I think he met you. And, uh, Dan Chamberlain took over at UC Santa Cruz and asked me to come on board as his assistant, which I did and, uh, coached with him for two years. We had some good success kind of riding Paul's coattails of uh, a really talented group of players at the D3 level. And, um, looking back on it, it was a great way to kind of cut my teeth as a coach because, you know, at the D3 level, you're, you're basically doing everything. You're, um, you're not getting a lot of resources. You're traveling the most bare bones way you possibly can. Um, recruiting is like non-existent for a lot of programs. So if you wanted to go out and hustle, which is kind of what Paul did and really recruit, you could build a, a monster of a program. So, uh, learned a lot watching Paul and then doing it for two years there. And then went on to be an assistant coach at UC San Diego for five years, um, which was an awesome experience and uh, was great to see the level of Division II soccer in the CC2A, which is an amazing conference. And uh, yeah, from there, wanted to be a head coach and uh, started throwing my name in the hat for some jobs. Didn't get a couple and then got an opportunity to uh, apply for Menlo College, which is a small little private school in the Bay Area, kind of right next to Stanford, and got that job, my first head coaching job, um, which went great. Uh, I started while I was coaching there, coaching with the Quakes Academy a little bit. I've been coaching in the academy with the Breakers in Santa Cruz and then with San Diego Surf in San Diego. And then when I moved to the Bay, I jumped on with the Quakes, um, was with the academy there for a couple of years. We had some really good success and was just lucky to coach some amazing players. Like we, we had such a talented group and a lot of those guys have gone on to be pros. Um, and uh, yeah, so when the, they started their PDL team with the Burlingame Dragons, I, I jumped on that as an assistant coach. Um, the head coach was Dana Taylor who I'd known from uh, the CC2A he coached at Cal State Stanislaus and, and uh, always kind of respected his teams. They were tough and gritty, and so I was excited to work for him. We had a couple good years at the Dragons. Um, I took over as head coach after the first year. Dana was commuting, like, from Stanislaus, and it was just getting to be too much. So uh, he stepped down, and I took over as head coach. It was was great experience. Um, coaching in the PDL at that level with that group of players was just awesome. We had such a talented group, and – we had two really, really good seasons, and uh, yeah, all along Menlo was going well, enjoying being a head coach there, and uh, when the Reno assistant coaching job opened up, uh, they kind of asked me to join, and, and it was something I couldn't pass up, so I coached uh, with Reno 1868 in the USL last season. And now you're kind of venturing off and doing something maybe a little bit different, or not maybe a little yep. bit different, a lot different. Um, a lot different. When, when did that project, like, come onto your radar and when, when did that start and, and what's the, what's the deal with that right now? What is yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> it was, um, yeah, good question. So it's called path to pro soccer. And basically it started, um, when I was an assistant coach with the Burlingame dragons and, uh, we had like an amazing season in 2000 and let's see, 15. Um, and after the season, I was like, just sort of, um, not baffled, but just like I would see these players that they were not in college anymore. They were playing at a really, really high level, succeeding in the PDL against really, really good players. 
And at the end of the season, they had nowhere to play. They didn't get a look from any pro teams. They didn't even know who to turn to. Agents wouldn't talk to them because they knew their contracts were going to be small. So I just was like, man, there's no there's no pathway for these players to get a look to play pro. They don't know what to do. So I just kind of put together a little combine just through my connections of as many pro coaches as I knew, mostly like USL and a couple MLS scouts and coaches that I knew from the Quakes or the Timbers and the Galaxy. And uh, we handpicked like 80 players from the PDL that I either coached or coached against, um, guys that just finished up their college careers. And we put together a pretty organized combine event, and we just had a bunch of pro coaches come out and scout it. And uh, it was a good level. I think coaches appreciated it. I think the players, um, they really appreciated it. They were looking at kind of what we were talking about earlier, ending their career and trying to figure out what to do. And they were like, man, any any shot I can have to – show what I have in front of pro coaches is something I have to do. So the interest was really more than I expected. And uh, after the combine, we had six guys sign professional deals that probably wouldn't have without uh, that experience. So it kind of opened my eyes. I was like, wow, this is really worthwhile. And uh, a couple of those guys joined us at Reno, um, which was great. So I got to work with them all last season. But anyway, it started as kind of a hobby and a little passion project. And we did it again this last year and uh, kind of mid-season in the USL, I, was, I just was sort of rethinking my priorities in life and what I wanted. And um, I looked around at like other coaches in the USL and they just looked underpaid and stressed and they were on the road a lot, you know, and that, that kind of got to me over the long course of the season being on the road, you know, 20 weekends out of the year. And uh, so, yeah, I just kind of reconsidered what I wanted out of my life and the combine business path the pro was kind of interesting and exciting. It was ready for somebody to kind of go full time. And uh, so I took a leap of faith and, and ran with it. That's crazy, man. And and what you said about like the USL season kind of like grinding on you, uh, you know, it's a 10 month season. And, and as an assistant coach, it's like you can't just you know take a weekend off. If the team's traveling as an assistant coach, you you go. And, for sure. And, there's, and the I'm sure the the monetary reward can't be any better than what the players are getting. And <laughs> yeah, it wasn't great. <laughs> but that, but again, that kind of goes back to like that side that I was telling you about that, like Brian Dunseth gets into. It's like that's the those are the types of things that don't get talked about. It's like what what is the grind for an assistant coach on a USL team that has to grind out a ten month season on a minimum, you know, monthly stipend maybe or you know contract and and it, people might think that it's all like just rosy and you know s- like super fun and and family oriented but it's absolutely not and and that's something that really really gets ignored and I'm curious that I'm curious when not necessarily when you started to kind of feel that grind but I'm sure that you had different emotions towards it when you first got hired at Reno from from then until you decided to, to walk away and, and what, what was kind of like the final straw for you, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was, I mean, when you first approach something new, you come with an open mind and you, uh, you want to give it the best you can and a fair shot. And so, yeah, I, and still, you know, it's obviously a fresh decision. I'm not like, so, you know, it's all new to me. It's like, wow, this is a major decision. I'm running with it. I'm enjoying parts of it. And there's some things I miss for sure. Like Reno just had their first scrimmage and I went and watched and, uh, that was weird. I mean, not being on the field and coaching and seeing things in the game. I, I was like, Oh man, I need to get down there and talk to Jordan right now and tell him what I see. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's still really fresh, but um, 
yeah, I think you just kind of hit it on the head. It was basically the money wasn't great. Um, and you know, there's a little bit of like guilt that comes with leaving a job like that. I know so many coaches would absolutely kill to be in that position. And, uh, so I, I don't want to like minimalize it, how great of an experience it was or take it for granted. It just, um, yeah, it just wasn't really what I was looking for in terms of like lifestyle being on the road and, you know, a pretty stressful career, to be honest. Coaching is like, especially at that level, it's just a high stress career and there's a lot of them, but, uh, it's one of them. And what actually kind of like opened my eyes to it was that we played in a AAA baseball stadium. And a lot of these USL teams are doing that now. It's just a super smart financial decision to kind of double the usage of a, a ballpark. And uh, those baseball players were just, and, and their season's a little bit shorter, but uh, they had a coaching staff that was bigger and just paid like a kind of normal professional amount. And uh, if you just add that amount to it, it just makes way more sense if you're coaching and grinding and you're stressed and you're on the road, but you're making like pro money, it's like, okay, well I kind of get it. When you just kind of take that away, it's like, what am I doing here, man? I could enjoy myself coaching, literally go coach a couple club soccer teams, have great relationships with these kids, get into coaching for the reasons I did in the first place, which was to enjoy it, impact lives, have fun. And of course get competitive and win and succeed, but you can really do that at any level. And uh, it just kind of made me question like, you know, what priorities we're making me continue this job. So there wasn't one like main thing, but just uh, over 10 months, I realized like it just might be time for a change. Did you, did you know right away that you were going to pursue path to pro or is that something that came after? Yeah. I always knew that that was something that I really enjoyed and it was like a really healthy and successful project that I would run with. Um, and I knew I needed some time off. I, uh, when I started talking to some coaching friends and people that I, I might be leaving, you know, other opportunities started to present themselves and some pretty cool, like coaching opportunities. And, uh, it was hard to turn those down and, and, and not jump right back in, but it's almost like, it's like ending a relationship. You need a little time on your own, you know? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I knew Pat the pro would keep me in the game a little bit and kind of satisfy that soccer craving that I always will have. But, uh, just step away from coaching where I could kind of figure out who I am as um, a 34 year old man and uh, who's been coaching for 12 years at a bunch of different levels and figure out what I want to do next. It's funny. People kind of laugh at like the, the Landon sabbatical episode that he went through, like taking a break from the game and it just did it again. And, and it, to me, like I, I'm not trying to justify or say that, you know, what he did was, was right or wrong, but, I, I've definitely gotten in those experiences where, yeah, you just need like a, a break from the, the spin. Like you just need a, a break from the ride. And, and Absolutely. I got, to, I, I got to a point when I was coaching just a girl's high school soccer team. Like that's not a, you know, a, it's not, not some crazy job. Right. But at the end of the third season, it's like, I, I was worn out. Like I was worn down and, you know, having For to sure. deal with that day in, day out, it was, it was a it was a grind and and it wasn't something that was helping my life at that point and so Absolutely. i decided i decided to step away and people are like they people that haven't gone through the grind i guess and see yeah i'm i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to catch heat for this too but people that haven't gone through that grind don't understand it you know it's it's di it's different it's different in in all these different situations of course but if you've gone through that day-to-day -day grind of of you know investing above and beyond what is minimally required and and you don't have those certain things like those certain rewards i guess not just monetary but other things as well 
it it, it fucking wears you out. It, it wears you out. I don't know how one hundred percent. No, you're exactly right. I think I don't. I mean, we don't know each other that well, but just by listening to your podcast, I can tell that we're probably similar in the way that we approach our work. Um, is that we just dive in and above and beyond is like the the word that you said that kind of stuck with me. It's yeah. I mean, you you give it everything you have and. Uh, you know, coaching, whether what the level doesn't matter, whatever level you're coaching, yep. um, it's, it's more of a personal thing who you are. And, uh, I think a lot of coaches can relate. They're in the same boat. Everybody is passionate about what they're doing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't even tell you how much more I sleep now. I didn't sleep when I was coaching. I would just like <laughs> wake up middle of the night. That was normal. I'd take out my coaching book and start writing or I'd go watch film. And it's like, now stepping away from it, I've been out of it for a couple of months. I'm like, I don't even recognize the guy that I'll see pictures of myself coaching. And I'm like, man, that guy looks angry and stressed. And, uh, <laughs> it's just, a, it's, uh, it, you need a break, man, sometimes. And it's healthy. And, you know, talking about Landon, Landon's still playing. Like, that's the thing. He, he took a break. And if he didn't take that break, maybe he's retired now. And now he's playing pro soccer in Mexico, like probably having the time of his life. So, you know, it's not the end of a story. Sometimes, uh, it might seem like the wrong decision at a time, but then you might look back five years later and say, wow, that was really important and led me to this and this and this, which is kind of like the best part of my career. So yeah, it's definitely not the end of a story when you, when you're just looking for a little bit of a recharge. Yeah. Landon is a funny story. I would, I would love to get the chance to interview that guy someday. I would, yeah. I would have some, I would, I would have some interesting questions for that guy. <laughs> for sure. Me too. Uh, I want to I want to find out a little bit more about Path to Pro though and mm-hmm. and you you said something that really um captured my attention where you guys hand selected I think eight, you said 80 players. What yep. what were some of the reasons that you that you chose or that you used to to choose those 80 players? Yeah. Um well, I mean I think that's one of the main things that sets Path to Pro apart is that it's not an open event. It's a invitation or application only event. And, uh, you know, we, we didn't have like incredibly high standards for the players. We just wanted to make sure that everyone was a successful player at some level. If you played college soccer and you got through it and you had a good senior season and you sent in a film that showed some qualities and then I would call your coach and he had good things to say about your character and, and you as a player, that was basically enough. Um, so I think two things about it, we were trying to eliminate the, the, the really poor player that kind of shows up at a lot of open tryouts that sort of just like kills the level. And, uh, and then the other thing was we were looking for, we're actively looking to get players that we thought were under the radar. And, uh, that was, I mean, can be a range of different qualities. Like it can be somebody who was super fast and like in the PDL would just like maybe not have the feet that were clean enough if a coach came out and watched them a couple times, but you know, he scored 12 goals because he earned breakaways and was just too fast for center backs to deal with. Um, so like extreme athleticism that he's 22. And I think coaches sometimes are like, okay, his feet aren't good enough. He's not going to get better. And then he played a, a year of PDL and now he's 23 and he got way better. So looking for players like that, that had shown improvement um, and maybe had been typecast. Uh, and then other, I mean, any quality guys that have really good technical skill, um, maybe that were undersized or guys that read the game really, really well and, and just wouldn't get noticed because what they do is such kind of like an unsung role and, and uh, maybe like a Matt LaGrasse type where you really don't appreciate how good he is until you watch him play 30 times 
and uh, and then you play against him and then you coach against him and he beats you and you're like okay maybe this guy's good it's just certain players that just for some reason don't catch coach's eye and i've been guilty of it as well when you're building a team you know you um you look for the very very best you can get and sometimes you get that and you just sort of don't need to take the risk on other players and uh so yeah we just we just kind of found players that we thought were good and deserved a shot and the most important thing that I looked for of any one of the players, and that was something that um, the combine just sort of created on its own, was that they wanted to be there, that they wanted to take a chance. And that's a big part of it that's difficult for a player that, you know, I went through this too. So you have a great college career, you win a league championship, you want to keep playing the MLS combine or MLS combine invitations come out, you're not on it. Some kid that's in your league that's not as good as you goes, you start to kind of doubt, you know, am I good enough? Like, why am I not getting seen? And it's easy to be like, all right, I'm, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to be an accountant. Got this degree. I've got 50 grand in debt. Like it's time to stop chasing this selfish dream. But, uh, you know, those kind of thoughts can really deter a player in the long run. So guys that were actively like searching out combines that really, really wanted it. Um, that desire was important for me. So I always looked for that when I was making the decision on if a guy was in or not. One thing that just popped in my head was, that I am super unfamiliar with the process of the MLS combine and you might have some, I'm, yep. I'm sure you have more insight on that. How, how does one actually get invited or on the, you know, on the radar for MLS combine? Yeah, I think it's an, I think it's kind of an evolving process, but uh, just being involved with the quakes um, and Reno, our head scout. And I think it's either a GM, a technical director, or a head scout. Hold on one second. I lost him. I'm going to call him back. Don't worry. Here we go. Hey, what's up, John? Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. <laughs> no problem. It could it could have been me. I don't know. It looks like I have one little bar. So <laughs> nice. Yeah, no worries. Um, anyway, I lost you just kind of talking about um, the uh, MLS combine and the process. And uh, yeah, so I think every MLS team sends in a list of 10 players that they think should be invited. And uh, I think there's a list from the GM. Maybe it's two lists. So it's like the front office sends a list and then the coaching staff or the technical staff sends a list. And uh, so our chief scout was Bruno Costa. who does a good job. He sees a lot of players. And, um, so he sent in a list and, you know, it, it's basically the 10 players that everybody knows. It's like the guys that are already getting all the hype that are on the Mac Herman watch list. Um, so it just was like, it, it's a little bit, a uh, little bit discouraging in that how many of these players are actually being recruited and seen, um, that just aren't kind of being regurgitated. And, uh, and then the other side of it is that it's coming from MLS teams who are kind of trying to hide players a little bit, like. So Bruno did a good job and went and saw some some teams um, that were a bit off the radar, like UNLV, and they ended up drafting two guys from UNLV, Danny Masovsky and Kevin Partita, who were guys that both played on the Dragons, so they were kind of in the pipeline a little bit. Um, but he didn't recommend those guys for the combine, and they ended up Danny ended up getting in, but uh, because he wants those guys to be off the radar, so they can draft them a little bit lower. So it's sort of a tricky process, and not always the best players that are kind of off the radar get the invite. Um, and then I'm sure MLS does something else where they reach out to college coaches. Um, I know college coaches 
there is some kind of vote. There might be a regional one or something that can a list can be sent in or one guy per league or something. But uh, it's not a scouting network, I'll tell you that. It's um, relying on people to tell you what they think, which is a totally good system too, but um, it's not the most precise process for sure. And it's not a guarantee for players either. So guys that go to the MLS Combine are not guaranteed anything, right? Guaranteed nothing. Um, and that's the next step that they get drafted. There's no guarantee once you're drafted either. I think that's right. sometimes a draft, and this is, I think, the first year this ever happened. I might be wrong on this, but um, I had always wondered this. Right when I got to Reno, we were, I had some conversations with some players that were in college and uh, had one more season, but were considering maybe going to play pro. And, uh, you know, Danny Masofsky was one of those players. So he was at UNLV. He was going to go back for his senior season. And we had talked and we kind of just stayed in touch because I coached him on the Dragons and we had a good relationship. And uh, I was like, you getting ready for your senior season? And he was considering kind of going pro. And I was like, well, you know, if there was a contract for you at Reno, would you sign? And uh, it just got us kind of wondering what the rules were. Can a USL team sign a player um, without them being eligible for the draft? Like, when does that window close? Like, is there a signing window for that? And then the other thing was that, okay, so we're a USL team, but we're affiliated with an MLS team. So can we sign a player to our USL team, you know, and kind of skirt around the draft and then eventually just have them get promoted to our first team? And that's a way to kind of get a player in your system without having to draft him. And the answer is yes, you can do that. And it happened this year. So Nico Corti was a goalkeeper for Stanford who had an amazing season. He was one of the best goalkeepers in the country. He's a little undersized, but he's awesome. And he didn't get invited to the MLS combine. He was probably considered to be drafted, but he ended up signing. He went to like a combine that RGV put on just a little goalkeeper invite thing. They invited like 10 guys. And I think they offered him a contract. And a week before the draft, he just signed with RGV and he probably ended up getting some decent money and maybe a one or two year deal. And he didn't have to worry about, was he getting drafted? If so, where did the team want him? Would he get cut? Because that's a possibility, too. You can get cut two months in after all USL teams have their rosters sorted out, and then you can be hung out to dry. So, yeah, it's a dangerous process for a young player. There's not a lot of information out there, and it's just tricky. It's, it's easy to kind of get lost in the shuffle and get abused and have your value, your contract value, just go way, way down. I'm curious if USL has the same type of like uh, initial contract structure as MLS, where it's like, okay, you know, it's pretty standard. You sign a, a two-year deal with a, a certain number of year option or something like that. Because like we talked about earlier, USL seems to be a little bit more of like a revolving door. I'm, I'm curious if you can shed yep. any light onto, onto that. Yeah, there um, there are not any kind of standard USL contracts. It's, uh, it's definitely... Um, an unstructured system. And I think that'll change in years to come as USL gets a little bit more substantial and grows. And, you know, I, I think it's easy and I was guilty of this too. It's easy to get frustrated and say, man, this is like the money's too small. The contracts are they're They're not great in supporting the player. But if you look back at where USL was a few years ago, it's gotten so, so much better. And they've done a good job of, uh, you know, making the league a really, really substantial league, a legitimate league. And uh, yeah, I think, I think in years to come, we'll see a player's union and we'll see a standard contract. We'll see a minimum salary. We'll see something that includes health insurance. Um, we'll see a minimum length of salary. Like right now there's no length. So it's not even 12 months. It's 10 months for a lot of players and doesn't include health insurance. Um, it usually includes housing, but that definition of housing can be really, it can vary a lot. 
and can be a hotel room. So yeah, it's, it's, um, there's not a ton of protection for the players. I, I really recommend, I didn't always think that agents were important. Um, when I was coaching college soccer and, and I just thought, you know, I didn't see the value of an agent until I became a pro coach. And I was like, you know, you just need somebody looking out for your best interests when it's contract time, just to make sure you're getting, um, what you expect to get. And, uh, because it, it's, it can be treacherous for a young player, first contract. And, you know, your heart is saying, oh my gosh, I'm so close to being a pro my whole life. I've worked for this. I know the, the money is like, it's $300 a month. And, uh, but man, I could probably make that work. I could get a job. Um, I got a hotel room. I, you know, so it's just really tough to, to look at a, a coach in the eyes and say, no, I want more money when you're staring down, you know, two other players that are pretty close to as good as you in, in preseason camp. And it's your first professional contract. So I would personally love to see just a minimum salary, just something a little more reasonable and health insurance included for every player. And hopefully that, that happens in the next couple of years. Does having an agent sometimes become a negative for players, especially players like, you know, first time contract that are going up, like you said, against two players of similar, similar quality that might be willing to take a, you know, that very minimal salary. Does, does having an agent in, in some of those situations, you know, affect the, the player negatively? Yeah, it potentially could. I just think you got to have a good agent that will avoid those situations. But yeah, I do think certain coaches will look to players and they'll look at their budget and say, all right, this guy doesn't have an agent. I can probably negotiate his contract down. Um, I know if I dealt with this player who has an agent, they're not going to go for, you know, the $0 contract where this player might. So yeah, it, it could deter you from getting a, a zero dollar contract offer so it's like is that <laughs> negative i don't know you tell me i i'm, I'm super curious I, I didn't plan to ask half of these questions but my mind is just racing now who uh who does the negotiations at the usl level because you mentioned that coach you just mentioned coaches talking to players and agents but yep is, is that standard uh i think it varies i think it can be general managers um or coaches it just depends on kind of the setup some coaches have the general manager and head coach title other teams are put together by the GM and the coach coaches the team. And uh, some teams are, are just kind of like, there's no GM and it's just a coach. Yeah, it's super fascinating to me. And, and I recently, I don't know why I, I started to do this, but I started to read the MLS uh, Players Union, the, the agreement that they have with MLS. Uh, what's it called? The CBA. Mm-hmm. And I started to just look through that. And some of the questions that were coming to mind were, does this even exist at the lower levels? And I, I think I even, I, I might've tweeted out something about, um, what's the guy's name? Tommy Heineman. Yep. The, the yep. guy that recently, you know, USL ruled in his favor, which was awesome. But yep. I was really curious to see if the, or to, to, you know, ponder, I guess how MLS would have treated him because of the CBA. And if there was something in that language in the CBA that, you know, would have been in favor of the team over Tommy, but maybe not having a CBA at the USL level is maybe that played into his favor. I don't know, but it, it's kind of just shocking to me that there's now, I don't know how there, there's like 30 USL teams. I want to say at this point, yep. maybe, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit 31, more or less. I think yeah. 30, yeah, 31. And, and f- so, I mean, that's more players than major league soccer has, but there's yep. really no across the board representation, which is kind of scary to think about that. It is scary. And, uh, seeing it firsthand. Yeah. It's just, um, 
you know, the players, it's, it's so tricky when you're talking about this because you don't want to, you don't want to feel ungrateful. You know, at the end of the day, you're getting to make soccer a career. And I think a lot of the players, you know, they, if they start complaining about their situation, it's, you come off kind of looking like a jerk because people are working their butts off doing all kinds of things. Um, and they would love to be pro athletes. So I think that kind of works against players and it, it's a tricky thing to organize, but it needs to happen. I think it needs to happen with some league veterans who've had a lot of time in the league. And uh, I think some agents and some lawyers can step up and get something done. I think, you know, no one's the league's not going to do it. It's not in their best interest to make a player's union. Um, it needs to come from the players. So, yeah, I think in the long run, it'll help. Like there's a lot of things that happen in the league that the players have no say in. And right now there's just not enough teams and there's, you know, the market is oversaturated with players so that the league and the teams kind of have all the power and uh, the value of contracts is just really, really low. I think when USL three gets going, um, there'll be, there could potentially be 30 more professional teams in America in 2019. And that's a fantastic thing for players because I think those division three teams, you know, they're not going to be the sexiest teams. They'll be D three instead of D two. They won't necessarily be affiliated with an MLS team. So they're going to have to do something to attract players. And it could be having great facilities, great fans, or it could be paying them. And I think that's what kind of what NASL did when uh, players were like, they saw the league was a little unstable, but the contracts were so much better in NASL. It was an attractive place to play. Um, So, yeah, I think like, and also another thing that happened this year, I meant to say this earlier was the league made the, the season two games longer. So they added a game on the front of the season and a game on the end of the season. And that went to a vote, I think, with like owners. And of course, they're saying, yes, that's more money. And, you know, with the CBA and the MLS, that would have to go through the players as well. And they would say, okay, well, two more games, you know, that's X percentage of time working. So does that mean the minimum salary goes up X percent or they could just vote no? I don't know exactly what the process is, but certainly USL players would have liked to have had a say in that. I'm sure I would have as a coach. It's like, okay, well, our season just extended two weeks. Um and it was, you know, never even got brought up. It was just sort of an announcement. So, yeah, I think a, a players union is something that it needs to happen. And uh, I don't know how it's going to happen. I think players need to step up and, and make it happen on their own. What you what you mentioned about the possibility of, you know, 30 more teams in 2019. And with this idea of NISA kind of floating around and, you know, where they're going to land in, in the American soccer landscape and then, this guy, Robert Palmer now, who's the owner of Jacksonville Armada and, and kind of what he's doing in, in Florida and with this div- idea of division zero, it, there's this possibility of, you know, 10 Xing, uh, the amount of professional soccer teams within the next few years, which is like you said, it's an amazing opportunity, but what you kind of have to do is you kind of have to step back and look at what we have right now. And there is like an artificial scarcity that has been, you know, kind of keeping us handcuffed as a, as a country and, and as players, because like you said, there's an abundance of players. There's an overwhelming abundance of players that, yep. you know, that are just out there waiting to take any chance they can get. And I think what you guys are, or what you're doing with Path to Pro is actually just putting an exclamation point on that. It's like, look at these 80 guys that are willing to take a $300 per month salary just to continue playing because mm-hmm. they fucking love this sport and they will take any opportunity that they, that they can get. And yep. I, 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 I have to believe, you know, there's more than 80 of those players out there in this country. There's, you know, probably 8,000 of those players in this country. <laughs> and yep, absolutely. 
And I, I have uh, no doubt in my mind that we could find a home for all of those players in, in systems and communities across the country. So Yep, 100% right. Yeah, I was. Um, we're we're kind of branching out and looking for uh, some partnership deals with uh, Pat Pro. That's kind of our next step. And I was having a conversation with uh, this guy Gavin Lee, who works with uh, Concave, which is like a, a soccer cleat making company. I think they're getting in some peril too. But uh, we were just chatting about this stuff, and he was like, "Yeah, that, he's like, I'm still playing. He's 36, and he plays like fourth division in England, and uh, he makes money, like decent money. He's like, yeah. yeah, I just I make like like a thousand bucks a week doing it." Holy and, shit, or, really? <laughs> yeah, he's making great money. And like, he's like, yeah, it's awesome. I just like, as I'll keep doing it as long as I can. Like, he's like, it, you don't train that much. It's just, and that's the thing in England. And I think in a lot of countries, lower division soccer is just like, it, it's funded. People care about it. There's real money. So like, you can play as long as you want. And, uh, you know, you look at the level of some of these players in USL in a lot of other countries, they would be making really good money and, and just be like living comfortable, good lives. And uh, hopefully we can get to that, man. I, I think Jake Edwards, the USL president, I think he's doing a good job. And he is a guy that played in the championship in England, second division, like for, I think, a long time. He had a good career there. So he recognizes that, like, you know, that you don't have to be in the top division to have a great career, make good money, make a living out of it, make it a full-time living, have a family, own a home. And uh, right now we're just not there in America. But if you look back 10 years, we've, come so far i mean i don't i don't remember when the usl first came in but uh it just seemed like nobody talked about it nobody knew about it. i couldn't name any of the original teams and now we're looking at like such a legitimate league that is getting fans and and i just hope that uh, that growth can continue and players can find a home part of the conversations i've been having with people recently was, was it's kind of i'm trying to educate myself as best as i can about when usl and nasl were kind of uh, in reverse roles where NASL was kind of on the up and, and USL was kind of on the out. And mm -hmm. that's around the time where these pro league standards got put into place. And, and those were really, I guess some would say th those were really put in place to kill USL at the time. And now, you know, you fast forward seven, eight, nine years and you know, the script has been completely flipped and, and the, the pro league standards are what, has killed NASL at this point and are allowing USL to to grow at the rate that they're growing and it's just really interesting to kind of look and see uh or look closer I guess and see you know at some of the uh the times where USL has kind of taken that step forward and NASL over the course of their you know over the course of I guess the last eight years or so really took a step backwards and I don't want people to think like I'm all pro USL or, you know, anti NASL, but it, it's just, it's interesting to talk to people that have been involved in the process throughout the entire thing and what those people were saying then and what those people are saying now. Yep. And it's, it's, I, I wish that I could release, well, I don't record them. I should say that, but I wish that I could record and release some of the conversations that I've been having about that because they're super interesting and yep, the people's, you know, insight that they, that they can provide what they don't. And I understand why they don't because you know, their jobs are on the line too, but it, it, it would just be awesome for people to just open up and have these honest conversations and really just shine the light on some of these things, because that's what would accelerate something like a USL CBA or an NASL CBA or, Yep. Uh, more more protection for the players or who knows more protection for the owners you could go either way right but 
Yeah, I think you're just, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. And, uh, you know, what happened with NASL, I think it's weird to see people, like, happy about it. And That's I'm just stupid. Like, I hate it. I do too, man. It's like these these are big clubs, and it just you never any team folding is never a good thing. I don't care what league they're in. It's like a lot of people probably put their heart and soul into it. It's always good to have more teams, and uh, yeah, it just it doesn't make a lot of sense. I, I you know I watched the NASL final this year, and I'm sure the league had problems, but that was a good level, and a lot of people came out and watched, and there was a team that won a championship and then had to fold and. It's just kind of sad to see. And, uh, you know, I've been a part of a few teams that don't exist. The Dragons don't exist anymore. And uh, that broke my heart. Like, I, I would love to root for the Dragons right now and see other coaches and players get a chance to do great things that organization. And um, so, you know, maybe it's tumultuous now in, in the soccer landscape, and this will ultimately lead to more stability and and good things. But, uh, yeah, it's just a tough – it's a tough time. It's a transition time for soccer in America. And uh, – yeah, you just never want to see people lose their opportunities or lose their jobs. So teams folding, I can't stand when people are happy about the NSL being gone. It's it's easy for people, especially you know, on something where you're so disconnected from reality, you know, on something like Twitter. It's easy for people to kind of sit there and celebrate the failure of of a league or you know, the look at the big picture and, and laugh. It's easy to do that when you're like you know, thirty thousand feet up, right? But if you zoom sure. in and, and you and you come, you know, you come face to face with some of the problems that are going to happen because of these rulings and, and these situations where people just lost their job, like somebody that uh, is providing for their family and depending on this money to make their house payment or you know their car payment or sending their kids to school or buying their their groceries. Well, all of a sudden, like that that person that's laughing is now face to face with somebody that's, that's crying. And it, it, it really, it's hard. It, it's hard for people, I think, to humanize the, those types of situations. And it's so, like I said, it's so easy to kind of just be so disconnected and just type on your computer and laugh and, and make jokes. But when you come, when you, when you experience it face to face, I feel like there's very, very few people who would, who would, be laughing at somebody that just experienced what NASL has gone through. For sure. 100%. And if you've never been in that situation before, you have no idea what that feels like. So a lot of people don't know what it's like to be that athlete that, you know, just got their last paycheck or the coach that, you know, didn't, didn't get the results and got fired or, or, you know, the, the team that didn't, you know, didn't stay in their budget or stay, stay in their lane and, and, you know, went a little overboard and now they're, now they're gone. It's, it's, I don't know. I just, I've been trying to, I've been trying to get, I've been trying to have different conversations with people recently. And that's a lot of what Brian Dunseth and I were talking about today and yesterday. And it's just, it's different to have those real conversations and, and get off of, get off of Twitter. I've, I've been kind of Twitter <laughs> overdose recently. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a healthy environment, man. You know? It's like the funny thing is we're, we're all on it. That's the thing, too. It's like social media in general. It's everybody's on it. None of us really like it. It's just sort of like this thing. It's it's a dangerous thing. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I'd love to get off it, but it's also like good for business and good for a career. And it's like yep. it's given, you know, your business and my business probably like a much bigger platform than they would have had without it. So there's goods and bads, I guess. But, uh, yeah, the uh, the Twitter universe can suck you in, man. What trips me out is that there's people 
that you know they they can't be on it for whatever reason right so they or they can't you know have a public stance on certain opinions but they have they have twitter and and you know they're they're on it and they're monitoring what's happening on it but they can't be actively involved in the conversations (laughs) and so like like there's there's several people that will like screenshot stuff to me and send it to me and i'm like i didn't even realize that you that you had a twitter so you you just been creeping this entire time (laughs) the twitter creepers that's such a thing there's a whole world of those like not involved but just watching (laughs) yeah it's pretty funny so pretty funny um Tell tell me or, or tell the listeners, I guess, um, and me. But how how do you or how will you guys be different now that Path to Pro has you kind of working full time uh, in in a position that's you know just solely dedicated to finding and, and giving these these players chances now? What sure. what's what's going to be different about it? Yeah, well, we got some cool ideas. Um, first is that we expanded. We have a second combine now. We're doing one in August in san diego um so instead of just one per year we're doing two the august uh time of year i think it's a great time of year because it's right when the upsl npsl and pdl seasons finish and there's a lot of players that are done with college and and will be kind of out of playing for like six months um if they don't catch on so they're in form they're playing really well and uh we're going to watch a lot of games a lot of amateur league games this year and try to find those diamonds in the rough and those top players and and put them in front of some pro coaches. It's also like right before the signing window closes for USL and MLS. So um, it's a nice time of year to add a player. If your team is doing great, um, it's a nice way to add a player and spice things up and start building for next season. So you can add somebody in on a half a year contract and then a following year option. Um, or if your team's, you know, has a hole and is struggling, you can, you can make big changes. That's something that I wasn't used to coaching in the PDL and in college soccer is that, you can have players the whole whole year, which is really, really different. You can prepare and prepare, and then things don't work, and it's like, all right, well, look, we need to go out and, and get somebody. So we're excited about that. Um, we're looking to do some cool partnerships, and we'll uh, be announcing a couple partnerships pretty soon, an apparel partnership and a goalkeeper-glove partnership, which will make it a better experience for our Pats of Pro players. Um, and then, yeah, we have some other ideas, just kind of uh, growing the business um horizontally which is we're doing a podcast as well we'd love to have you on john at some point yeah of course um (laughs) and uh yeah i you know i've always enjoyed writing and uh so i'll do some a little bit of soccer blogging we're going to start a little bit of a a blog we'll have some guest writers on that as well and uh yeah hopefully it'll help me build connections with um more coaches overseas in south america and in europe um and uh get them to come out to the combine we might take a group of players overseas um if that opportunity presents itself that's something we've kind of discussed so we've got a lot of exciting ideas i don't want to grow it too quickly i i was just talking to my wife the other day it's like the business is already good and that's the most important thing have an important or not important but have a successful business that is doing something good that you enjoy and uh you know expansion everybody wants to talk about that like okay what's next what's bigger and uh i've just watched a lot of these kind of types of businesses struggle when they get too big too soon so we want to make sure our product is good. We're helping players and uh, expand at the right pace um, at the right time. One of the guys that I listened to uh, quite – not not so much anymore, but I was religiously listening to Tim Ferriss. Actually, I'm, my microphone is propped yeah. up on one of his books right now. And, um, and one of the things that he said recently was that he has to be careful about 
how he recommends certain products or certain businesses because there's like, you know, the Tim Ferriss effect or the Joe Rogan effect where if those guys mention somebody's name, well, all of a sudden that product is sold out or, uh, you know, there's a wait list for it. And so that rapid, that rapid expansion, you know, is not good for small businesses sometimes. And so even though Tim Ferriss might, you know, wholeheartedly believe in this, you know, product or whatever it is, uh, if the, if the owner of the business isn't ready for that type of expansion, he has to like bite his tongue and he can't say anything about it. Cause he knows if he does, he'll kill the business. And <laughs> not funny. Yeah. It's, and it, it, you know, it's like, it's like, you would think that it's a good problem. Like, Oh my God, I just did a million dollars in sales. Uh, well, fuck now I'm backed up for six months and I'm the only person, you know, that works for me. And, um, <laughs> uh, but, but that's actually, that's actually good that you mentioned that. And you kind of have that, that, that foresight where it's if you expand too fast it's that's not necessarily the good a good thing for you for your business and even for the players too because what happens if you expand and you have combines all over the united states but it's like okay well all of a sudden coaches might not want to go to them anymore and they might they might become watered down and 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 all of a sudden the quality drops and so it it could be it, it could actually be a negative thing so i think that's that's awesome that you you're ready to, or, or that you're, you're willing to kind of control that, that growth. Yeah. We want coaches to come and, and know that the level is going to be really good and players as well, that they know that there's a, it's hard to get into the combines. We turned away 40 players our last one. And a lot of those guys were good. And uh, so it's difficult to get into. It's prestigious to get into. And, uh, you know, I think we want to keep it that way. That's the main kind of a uh, successful part of the business right now. I, I, I think we're both on a timeline because we, we both know we want to watch Champions League today. Yes. Uh, I have I have two more questions. I'm actually going to end. Uh, well, I'll ask you right now because there's other stuff that we wanted to talk about. We haven't even gotten near uh, some, of, some of it. So I guess one question is, are you willing to come back on the show and talk more about yeah, like, 100%. Like, like, the, like the session planning? And, and we wanted to talk a little bit about what you were actually doing at Reno and maybe some of your other positions as well. Sure. Yeah. You know, what's so funny is that I, the session planning, I just um... – I, I think I'd listened to one of your podcasts and I was like, Oh man, that sounds great. I'd love to talk about that. And, uh, so I wrote up the session last night and I got all excited. It was almost like I had to coach this morning. It was the first time I felt that in a while. <laughs> so yeah, we didn't get to talk about it. So definitely we'll come back on. would love to talk about session planning and, uh, and whatever else, uh, you want to talk about happy to do yeah. it. Yeah. I got, so I have one more question. I want to make sure I ask before I forget it, because I feel like it's an important question at your, path to pro event so you have these 80 players that for the most part probably haven't been exposed to you know, professional opportunities yet like they've, they've either been passed over or missed or uh, have been like you said earlier flying under the radar um, do you offer any type of like advising for these players like either how to get an agent or what to look for with an agent or how to negotiate a contract or do you kind of just set these players up with an opportunity to play and then they're on their own? Yeah. Um, I definitely do. I think that's sort of just like who I am. Um, I, I genuinely try to get to know every single player and I want to have a relationship with every single player. It's obviously tough, but, uh, yeah, I'm throughout, you know, the year players contact me that have come to the combine and, and ask for help. And, uh, I always try to help them, whether it's just a little piece of advice, guiding them in the right direction, connecting them with somebody else. And, uh, Obviously, you can't do everything for everybody, but uh, yeah, we like to think that we provide a little bit of a service, and once you come through one of our combines, we'll do what we can to help you, and even if that means you know, telling you the hard truth, like, look, you, you, uh, you didn't show that well, and you're probably just not going to get any interest, so it might be better to look at this level or 
you know, maybe just play another season of NPSL, do it again. But, uh, you know, just being honest and being somebody that is an objective outside voice that can uh, be a little bit of a mentor for these guys is probably my favorite part of it, to be honest. So that could be potentially somewhere we grow the business into, um, a, you know, a group of advisors or potentially agents that help players continue on after these events as well. I think that would be super smart to do. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to players, uh, either through Twitter or, or, you know, the few that I've had on the show and, and before we actually, before or after we, we record, they won't, they won't go on record saying it most of the time, but they just tell me horror stories of, of, you know, having to either deal with agents or having to negotiate themselves and, or figure out the landscape themselves. And it seems like that gray area is, is a place where, where players would really benefit from having somebody like you that is like a sounding board at the very least, but is somebody there to advise them throughout the process as well. So I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun part of the job. Most rewarding part probably will keep bringing me back uh, in years to come. That's awesome, dude. Um, all right, well, let's let's wrap for today, and we got we got Champions League to watch. Tottenham, Juve. <laughs> let's go, Juve. Yeah, I know. I know. I feel like they've they've gotten so many more fans now since the I Netflix. Know. Uh, <laughs> Gosh, so what a cool. great show! When's the next one coming out? I need it. I don't know. That's what I'm, I'm trying to figure out. Like they're they're actively recording. I think like all this is being recorded, right? So cool. Yeah, they must be, and they got some great material. Yeah, uh, especially if they win today. Yeah, it's gonna be badass. Um, and then I'll, uh, I'll I'll text you, I don't know, in the next couple of days or so, and let's set up a time maybe next week to, to talk about session planning. Cool. Love it, John. Thanks for having me on. Great show. Uh, cool. Yeah, all right, dude. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Later. Later. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. Thank you to Eric for coming on the show and for providing some amazing insight as to what happens at the lower levels or lower divisions of American professional soccer. And also thank you for creating more pathways for players to make it to the professional level. I think that's awesome. I think we need more of that. And I'm really excited to see how that company grows and what opportunities players can get from path to pro. All right. Uh, thank you for listening. That's the biggest one that I want to throw out there. And if you want to help support this podcast, uh, there's a couple different ways you can do that. You can share it with all your friends, all your coaching friends, players, parents, whoever you want to share it with, or you can go to three, four, three coaching.com and just check out a little bit about the three, four, three coaching membership. That is what really helps support and fund this podcast. So you can find out all of the information at 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 3, 4, and 3, coaching, all spelled out, .com. All right. We will catch you guys next time here on the 343 podcast. Thank you. Thank you.